A new grand jury report says that internal documents, internal documents from six Catholic dioceses in Pennsylvania show that more than 300 quote-unquote predator priests have been credibly accused, credibly accused, of sexually abusing more than 1,000 child victims. So began a story, a CNN story, about the all-too-common sexual abuse that takes place in our world. When you think about that, it's staggering. The numbers, the pain that must go with each one of those stories, and the horrors of sexual abuse compounded by the fact that the people who did this were supposed to be their protectors. They were supposed to be their shepherds. They were supposed to be the ones who represented Jesus to them. You can hear it if you, it's a horrific story. I'm sure you've heard it in the news this week. If you read any of the stories of testimonies of people who have shared or listened to any of them, you can't help but hear that the absolute horror of the sexual abuse is compounded by the betrayal that those in positions of spiritual authority would do such a thing. It's just sickening and heartrending. In addition to the betrayal, you can also hear the pain of abandonment by those who didn't commit those acts, but who were in positions to know or to protect or to help, and they didn't. The abandonment of someone being in a position to protect, to help, and not do anything, or at least all that they could or should. Today we're talking about the twin sins of betrayal and abandonment. This is a painful topic. And whether you have experienced betrayal and abandonment on a more major scale, like abuse, or adultery, or perhaps embezzlement by a trusted employee, or perhaps on a smaller scale, but still difficult, a friend spreading rumors about you, a coworker working to take away your job, a parent who's too busy with work or with their own goals in life to pay enough attention to you, Betrayal and abandonment cut us to the heart. When it's someone close to us, someone who loves us, a friend, a spouse, a pastor, a sibling, it cuts right to the heart. I'm reminded that in Isaiah 63, God says, when you're distressed, I'm distressed. And the reason why God is distressed over betrayal and abandonment is because he knows how it feels. This morning we're going to look at the story of Jesus and how he experienced betrayal and abandonment. 
We're doing that so that, number one, we know, we can understand that God knows what it's like to go through this. That when he left heaven's comfort, he came here to be betrayed and abandoned, and he knows how it feels. And perhaps just as importantly, if not more so, we're looking at the story of Jesus so we can see what is the proper response when you've experienced that kind of hurt, that kind of pain, that kind of trouble. So if you will, would you take a Bible and turn to Mark chapter 14? Mark chapter 14, in the church Bibles, it's page 827. Mark chapter 14. While you're turning... I'd like to define for us the difference between betrayal and abandonment. Betrayal, in my opinion, has with it malicious intent. This is a person who knows that they're hurting other people. This is a person who is doing something that is wrong. In the sex abuse scandal, it's the priest who is engaging in the abusive activity. It's the person who chooses to lie to cover up their use of drugs and alcohol, and in that destruction, it's the choice to lie, a conscious choice to deceive someone that's betrayal. In an adulterous situation, the adulterer may not grasp how much pain it's going to cause his or her spouse, but it is a conscious, active act of sin that harms another person, and the person is engaging in it willfully. That's betrayal. Abandonment, on the other hand, is still painful, and it's still difficult but I don't believe it involves malicious intent. The parent who gets so wrapped up in their own success or their own financial state or their own work or whatever it may be that they fail to pay attention to their child, I do not believe they're doing that out of malicious intent, but it's still difficult. When you see a brother in need financial need, and you do nothing about it. That's not betrayal, but it is a form of abandonment. You have the power to do something. Abandonment is not actively sinning against a person. It's passively sinning against them by failing to act for their good. Those in the sex scandal who were in positions of authority, who had the power to do something and didn't. It's not betrayal, but it is abandonment. How do we respond when we've experienced betrayal or abandonment? Well, let's look at the story of Jesus. We pick up the story in verse 27. Jesus speaking to the 12, you will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, 
before the rooster crows twice. You yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. All the others said the same. And then jump over to verse 43. What we're jumping past is the Garden of Gethsemane. We looked at that last week. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter, James, and John are asked by Jesus to please pray for him in his time of need, and instead they fall asleep. Verse 43, in the garden, just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the 12, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him, and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, but you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. In these paragraphs that we've read, Jesus experiences both abandonment and betrayal. We start first with the abandonment. He says to the 12, you're all going to fall away. And then in verse 50, everyone deserted him and fled. Sometimes these feel like just words on a page and you actually have to stop and think what exactly this means and what exactly is going on here. What Jesus is saying, which does turn out to be the case, is that these disciples in Mark 14 are going to abandon Jesus, meaning in the Gospel of Mark, they're simply going to drop off the scene and not reappear until after the resurrection, which means the closest friends Jesus has on earth will skip the hardest event of his life. The time you would most expect friends to be there, the time when you would most need that kind of support, these men will be simply gone, missing in action. It's not one of the 12 who volunteers to carry Jesus' cross on the way to the crucifixion. It's not one of the 12 who offers him wine mixed with gall when he's thirsty on the cross. They're simply not there. They're gone from the story other than we still have Peter's denial that's left to happen. But other than that, his disciples are gone. Have you ever had that experience? Where you go through something horrific and a friend, a parent, a spouse is simply missing in action. So bad is it. Mark includes this really strange little vignette at the end about this guy who's wearing a linen garment and they grab hold of him and he so desperately wants to get away from Jesus that he's willing to go running naked out of the garden 
rather than stick around Jesus. Now, we don't know who this person is, but some commentators believe this is actually the, the author of the gospel. This is Mark himself. But the purpose of this story is to show everybody wants to get as far away from Jesus as possible. Imagine how that must feel. This guy so badly wants nothing to do with Jesus that he bolts naked from the garden. Now, before they physically abandon him, they've already abandoned him in other ways as well. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asks his friends, Peter, James, and John, please, would you pray for me? Instead of praying, they fall asleep. When Judas arrives, Peter pulls out his sword. Mark doesn't tell us that. Another gospel writer does. And swings at the high priest's servants and he cuts off his ear. Now at that point you think, well, Peter's standing up for Jesus. He's not abandoned him. Yes, he has. It's kind of like that high school student who comes home and tells her parents about all the trouble she's having with the teacher at school. And she asks her parents if they would just please pray about it. And instead of praying, the parents decide to call up the teacher and chew her out. They're not really helping the situation. And that daughter's going to feel abandoned. Jesus has asked his disciples to pray. Instead of praying, they pull out swords. Not helpful. He's going to feel abandoned in that. And then, of course, there's Peter's denial. No, I will never fall away. And Jesus says, even tonight, it's going to happen. Now, I classify Peter's denial as abandonment and not betrayal. Because I don't believe he maliciously intends to hurt Jesus. He does what you and I do. He gets scared. And in his fear, he runs. And in that running, he wounds Jesus. It's still painful. Have you experienced abandonment? Have you experienced someone who should have been there for you and they weren't? Have you experienced a boss who should have stuck up for you at work and chose not to? Have you experienced a friend who should have stood by your side at school who didn't? Jesus knows exactly how that feels. Everyone left him. Every single one of his friends deserted him. He was abandoned. Not only was he abandoned, he was also betrayed. There are two betrayals in our story. The second one you're familiar with, we'll get to it in a minute. But the first one we might miss if we don't pay close attention. It says in verse 43, when Judas arrives, there's a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. These are not Roman soldiers. There are Roman soldiers that are present. Mark is not focused on those. He's talking about these are Jewish people. It's not the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. It's the crowds. What crowds? The ones Jesus has been teaching. The ones Jesus has fed. Some of the people that Jesus has miraculously healed. The ones who got to see all of this happen. 
Here they come with swords and clubs, and you can hear the betrayal in Jesus' voice. Did I not teach among you every day? Did I ever once show an inclination towards violence? Why in the world would you be here with swords and clubs as if I'm some sort of rebel? When did Jesus ever give the crowds an impression that he was there to harm anybody? All he's ever done is teach and heal and show compassion and feed and care. Where did the crowds get the idea that Jesus is dangerous? From the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. Where's the betrayal? Would you so easily believe their lies? Would you so willingly believe what they told you about me? Worse yet, these same people are going to call for him to be crucified. That is an active form of trying to hurt someone who did nothing except try to help them. The second betrayal is, of course, Judas. Mark introduces the betrayal very subtly. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the 12. We know that Judas is one of the 12. We've known that for the whole book of Mark to this point. Why does he remind us he's one of the 12? Lest we forget, this man is one of Jesus' 12 closest friends on earth. He's one of the people who went with him everywhere. He's one of the people that Jesus taught that Jesus showed his miracles too. That Jesus went on traveling trips with. They spent nearly every waking moment together. It's one of those, the close friends, that chooses to betray Jesus and he betrays him with a kiss. A kiss is supposed to be a sign of friendship. A kiss is supposed to be a sign of closeness. There's only one person that could have come close to Jesus and kissed him like that, and it's a friend. That's who maliciously intends to harm Jesus. Have you been betrayed? Have you had a child lying to you about pornography? An internet usage? Do you have a spouse who's engaged in adulterous behavior? Do you have a coworker who you thought was on your team but actively working to get you fired? Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. The all important question is how do we respond? There's four things from the example of Jesus that I'd like for you and I to see this morning to guide us as we go through our own experiences of betrayal and abandonment. Number one, what does Jesus do in the face of abandonment and betrayal? He acknowledges the sin and the pain. Look back, if you will, at verse 21 in chapter 14. This is where Jesus is predicting Judas' betrayal. 
The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. Verse 27, you will all fall away. And the word for fall away has the idea of opening yourself up to sin. In the garden where they're praying, Jesus rebukes the three disciples who abandon him, Peter, James, and John, so much so that they're embarrassed and don't have anything to say in the face of his rebuke. Jesus does not simply take abandonment and betrayal and say, it's no big deal. It's fine. He does not just sweep it under the rug. Listen, when he says it would have been better for Judas not to be born, that is a major statement. And the example of Jesus is when you have experienced abandonment and betrayal, the first step is to acknowledge it's sin. It is never right. It is never excusable. Jesus doesn't just blow it off. It's wrong. It's also painful. In John's gospel, Jesus tells us that Judas's betrayal causes him to be deeply troubled. It wounds him, it cuts him to the heart. In Luke's gospel, we're told that right at the moment of Peter's third denial, Jesus and Peter exchange glances. Can you imagine how that must have felt for Jesus to look across the courtyard and to see perhaps his closest apostle denouncing him and wanting nothing to do with him? In Mark's gospel, Jesus says when he comes to the garden and he finds his closest friends asleep, he says, couldn't you keep watch for just one hour? Couldn't you help me? Couldn't you have prayed? There's pain. When you have experienced betrayal and abandonment, it is sin and it's painful. And the first step is to acknowledge that. We don't just sweep it under the rug and we don't just say, everything's great. All things are good. No, Jesus doesn't do that. You and I shouldn't do that either. If you have been the victim of betrayal or abandonment, the first step is to acknowledge this person has sinned against me and against God. And it hurts. The second thing that Jesus does is he takes his attention off the betrayer or the one who did the abandoning and puts it on God. Verse 21, the son of man will go just as it is written about him. Verse 27, you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Verse 49, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. What is Jesus doing? After he acknowledges the sin and the pain, he then focuses attention on the fact that God is still in control. The problem with betrayal and abandonment is it shakes your world to the core. The very foundations of life are shaken because if this person who has shared a bed with you 
can lie to you and sleep in someone else's bed, if this child could be lying to you this whole time, if this friend doesn't show up when you get diagnosed with cancer, if your friends and family and your pastor and spiritual leaders, if they're not there at those times, well, what is your enemy going to do to you? And suddenly everything at life feels shaken. If you can't count on your parents or your siblings or the spiritual leaders in your life, if the one who has dipped his hand in the dish is the one who has raised the knife against you, everything feels like it's falling apart. What coworkers can you trust? What boss will stand up for you? If your friends at school abandon you, what will the people that hate you do? It's in those moments that we have to be reminded that although God never, never condones betrayal or abandonment, he is still on the throne. And he has purposed to use it for good. In the story of Joseph, Joseph says to his brothers who betrayed him, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And Jesus, after he has dealt with the accusations and the pain, he acknowledges the fact that God works all things together for good, even betrayal and abandonment. That God is so powerful and he's so sovereign and he's so loving that God has found a way to use all those wounds and all that pain and all that difficulty for great good. And when the world feels shaken to realize God is still on his throne. Everyone else may desert you, but God is still on his throne. The world is still going according to his plan. In micro ways, it may feel like it's out of control. And so Jesus steps back and says, but my father is in control of all things. The second thing that we do, after dealing with the fact that it's sin and it's painful, is we turn our eyes to the father who controls all things and has sworn he will work all things together for our good. Number three, in the face of betrayal and abandonment, Jesus chooses mercy and forgiveness. You're all going to fall away, he says. Why? He acknowledges it's because God's going to have to cause me to go through suffering. I will strike the sheep, the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. That's a very merciful pronouncement. Jesus is acknowledging here the human response to suffering in someone we know is to run the other direction. We get scared. We don't know what to do. Someone loses a loved one. We're not sure. What do I say? What do I do? I don't want to do something wrong. And then we choose to do nothing. Jesus says, it's not right. But in his mercy, he's willing to acknowledge it's understandable. In the garden, when Peter, James, and John fall asleep when they're supposed to be praying, it's not right. He rebukes them for it. 
But then he also says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's mercy to acknowledge that everybody gets tired, that everybody fails. It doesn't make it right. But Jesus is choosing mercy and to say, you know what? You're just dust and you're trying the best you can. He also chooses forgiveness. Verse 28, after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Why? Why is Jesus going to ensure that after he's resurrected, he shows up in Galilee to talk to these 12? So he can forgive them. Peter's going to need some help. When he is cut to the heart at what he did to Jesus, he's going to need to be forgiven and restored. And Jesus said, I'll be there waiting for you. When the others realize that they abandoned Jesus at his moment of greatest need, they're going to need to be forgiven. And he said, I'll be there to forgive you. I'll be there to restore you. He could have cut them all loose. I mean, really. To deny Jesus? To abandon him in his hour of need? He could have just simply said, I'm going to find some new disciples. He chose forgiveness. Even, and you got to listen very carefully to this part, even in the case of Judas. What do I mean by that? I mean that after Judas betrays him, Jesus still chooses to go to the cross and die for Judas's sins. Tragically, Judas does not accept that offer of forgiveness. But do not let that negate the fact that on that cross, Jesus was there willingly paying for Judas's sin. And let me just say this as a side note. The sermon is mostly about those who've been betrayed and those who've been abandoned. But if you are the betrayer, if you are the one who did the abandoning, and we all have in some way, please understand, Jesus' death on that cross paid for that. And if he's willing to pay for what Judas did, he paid for what you did. And the great lie of Satan is Satan tried to tell Judas he was beyond forgiveness. I'm here to tell you that is a lie. Even if you are guilty of sexual abuse and adultery and embezzlement and what you might think are horrific kinds of sins, Jesus died when the earth was as black as it could be to rescue you and me from all our acts of betrayal and abandonment. He chooses mercy and forgiveness. And the only thing that will stop him from forgiving you is you. If like Judas, you will not accept it, he cannot foist it upon you. But Jesus chooses mercy and forgiveness. Still has to be confession. Peter has to confess. But Jesus' orientation is, how do I forgive how do I extend mercy? What is the proper response when you've been betrayed or abandoned? The world's going to tell you to choose bitterness. The world's going to tell you to choose anger. I will tell you that will destroy you. Jesus chose mercy 
Jesus chose to say, spirit's willing, the flesh is weak. It's not right, but when, when someone is in suffering, sometimes people just run the other direction. They just drop off the map. Sometimes people get deceived in doing stuff they shouldn't have done. And he chooses forgiveness. Fourth and final point, and perhaps the most important. It comes out of a little tiny phrase in verse 28. But after I have risen. The fourth thing that Jesus does, he chooses to trust God. See, this is not the exact same point as point two. Point two is to acknowledge that God is in control of all things. Point four is to choose to trust this God who is control of all things. Because although everyone else has deserted him, although he has been betrayed and abandoned, and even though God the Father, because of the unique circumstances never to be repeated again, whereby Jesus will be bearing the sins of the whole world, the Father will have to turn his back on Jesus for a time. He will not abandon Jesus. He has sworn, I will not abandon you to the grave. And the empty grave proclaims the truth that God the Father did not desert Jesus. He did not betray him. He was faithful from beginning to end. 1 Peter 2 says, Jesus entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. The problem when you've been betrayed or you've been abandoned is to pull into a shell and say, I'm never going to let myself get hurt again. I'm never going to engage in relationships again. I'm going to stay back so I never have to go through that pain again. That's not what Jesus did. He chose to acknowledge, look, you can't ever trust humans. We're an untrustworthy bunch. We're full of sin. Every one of us is a betrayer and an abandoner. But never once, never once in the history of the universe, in every person's life, in every situation, has God the Father ever shown himself to be unfaithful. He is always on your side. Never once. Not even one time can anybody credibly accuse God of abandoning them. God says, when you're distressed, I'm distressed. I know how it feels. And the fourth and final choice is, look, are you going to choose to trust God? You've been hurt. You've been betrayed. You've been abandoned. But there is a God who will raise you from the dead. That whatever you have gone through, he will lift you back up and put the pieces back together and pour grace into your life. And the only thing will stop him is if you won't let him. So the final point that Jesus teaches us. If you've been betrayed or abandoned, you've already learned humans are not trustworthy. But God is. And the thing that takes the most courage especially if it's a spiritual leader or a person who claims to be a Christian that's hurt you, is to realize God never condoned that. That God will punish it. Judas did not get away with what he did. 
God says, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. You can trust that the Lord is not just going to ignore what was done to you, but you can leave it in his hands. The father is the one who brought Peter under conviction so that he would confess to Jesus. The father is the one who brought the disciples back. The father is the one who probably took this weird naked guy and turned him into a gospel writer. God will not abandon you under no circumstances will he ever leave you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So you and I, when we've been abandoned and betrayed, we have a choice. We can leave it in God's hands. He will repay and he will repair. Or we can try to do it ourselves. May we have the grace from God and the courage to follow Jesus' example.